0: Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric.
1: And I'm Deborah. And I'm really excited about today's guest. She's a country champion, a ten dance champion, a West Coast Swing champion. I'm in awe of her talent. I'm in awe of her knowledge of West Coast Swing and dance. She's a fantastic mother and a great friend. Please welcome Brandy Guild. Hi, what a nice intro. You're welcome. Well, you're amazing. (laughs)
2: Oh, you're so sweet. I think
1: you're amazing. Oh, thanks. You're just saying that because it's true. Anyway, it. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the first question that we ask everyone that's on the show. Okay. Which is, how did you get into West Coast Swing?
2: Totally by accident. So I, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I was a softball player my whole life. That was my life from the time I was five. I went to college on a full scholarship. And then I made it to the final round of Olympic trials for the 96 team. And after I didn't make the team, I set my glove down and frankly didn't miss it. So I didn't quite know what I wanted to do with life. And my sister was going to UNLV. So I went to Vegas and she found me a fake ID and drug me to a country bar. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was it. I, I learned how to two step and started. Um, Started competing pretty quickly, but that was in '95, and I won my first professional country world title in '98, January of '98. So it happened
1: fast. I feel like I predicted that.
2: You did predict that. You 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 put a finger in my face and told me I was going places.
1: That's right. I did do that.
2: So when I first saw West Coast Swing, I hated it. Mm. Did you that? No. It was awful. Right. Yeah, so this was back in the mid '90s, and my first exposure to it was in the country community, which always tends to run just a few years behind uh, the West Coast swing community and trends. And it was just lots of body rolls, all the body rolls. <laughs> it's true. And, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it just was not. It was not me, and I didn't care for it. And it it felt too. It felt too much for me. So. I started doing it in country as a part of the, at that time, seven dances that we did. I think six dances that we did. It was one of our competitive dances. And then um, it was in 2000 that I danced the U.S. Open with Michael Kim for the first time. And that was my first venture into the West Coast. <clears throat> yeah. So accident.
0: How did you get connected with Michael?
2: So after I won World in 98, I moved to San Diego to start dancing with a guy you guys might have heard of, Ronnie DiBenedetta. And um,
0: that guy. That
2: guy. That so guy. I moved to San Diego to dance country with him. And I started teaching at Starlight. And that was in February of 98. So I had been there for a couple of years. And that's when uh, I learned, I mean, a lot of my teaching style. Michael was hugely influential on me in many, many ways. So when he asked me to dance the open, I was like, well, yeah, let's do it. So that's how we got connected.
0: And was it Michael who turned you on to West Coast Swing? Like when did the switch happen of, you know what, maybe I'll do this.
2: Yeah, it was, it was once I moved to San Diego and I started seeing it in, uh, in the West Coast Swing community instead of just as a, a part of the country community. And I mm-hmm. really fell in love with it pretty quickly.
0: Other than Michael, who or what has influenced you most as a West Coast Swing dancer and professional?
2: Oh, gosh. I honestly feel like I'm a product of the women around me. So I, most of my training came from outside of West Coast Swing. It came from international 10 dance. And I had amazing teachers there. But the women that sit next to me and have sat next to me in those champs, Jack and Jill chairs for the last 20 years, those are the people I'm a product of. And I even find it really interesting because I dance differently depending on who's danced before me. Mm. And it's not because I intentionally do it, but the way they move influences me. So, uh, Deborah, Sarah, Khalees, Tatiana, Melissa, Jessica, like these women, have all been hugely influential just over the way I move. And I love their influence.
1: Ooh, now I'm going to pay attention because I've never noticed that, Brandy. Have I? That, 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 like, whoever dances before you, that your your movement changes a little bit. Now now I'm going to watch. Now you're going to (laughs) watch. My secret's out. Yes, your secret's out. Also, too, I mean, I feel like I'm responsible a little bit for people – or, or I feel like I mani- helped you manifest you because when I met you at Gateway Classic, which I think was 1996 or five.
2: Oh, well, it was it was when Ronnie and I had started dancing together. So it was 98.
1: 98 was. That, oh, was that late? Yeah. 98. Um, I was judging. And here's this beautiful blonde. You were bl- you were blonder then. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had like a short, like short haircut, which I love because you know how much I love short hair. And she dances the Jack and Jill, and I pull her over to the side after the cup is over. And I'm like, listen, I said, I'm just going to let you know that you're going to be a force to be reckoned with in this community. Just pay, my, you, mark my words.
2: I think you started with, who are you? I did do who that. You, where did you come from?
1: Yeah I, yeah, I did do that. Who are you and where did you come from? Because you're going to be a force to be reckoned with in this community. And look at you now. You're That's such a huge true. influence to all of us. Me too. Yeah. To all the women in the community and, and all the people that are... Uh, that are coming up um, in the community. So I think it's great that you're here. I'm glad you're here.
2: I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yes. Oh, this is what I wanted to ask you, because this is so important for me. How are you working to make it easier for other so- solo female instructors to be successful in the swing dance community?
2: Mm, that's that's a good one. I'm doing a couple of things. Is One... Um, I'm letting people know that I'm a solo act when it comes to teaching. I do teach with leaders at times, but when you hire me, you hire me. And um, I'm also counseling a lot of women. And I think it's important that they hear it from us, people like you, people like me, who are out there teaching independently. And understanding that there's a whole process that you have to go through to establish yourself as a professional in this industry. Mm -hmm. And you can't just be a silent sidekick. And you have to have a voice. And too many times I've just watched these incredibly brilliant followers and teachers just disappear behind their leader. And they aren't present in workshops. So it's an interesting space to be in because... Um, Oh, one thing I am doing that I'm super excited about is Palm Springs New Year's. Mm -hmm. Uh, I asked Jay Byam, I said, you don't have to pay me for this. I just need it on the calendar and I need one of your ballrooms and I'm running a workshop. It's an hour and a half and it's for female dance professionals. Mm -hmm. And it's called how to be a leader in the community and a follower on the floor.
1: Oh, I love this.
2: And so I want to just bring up this entire new generation of powerful women that are going to drive this community forward Mm -hmm. because we are powerful, we're strong, and we have a great perspective. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: I, I don't know, of course, I know where it came from. Leaders don't think followers can teach them how to lead. And it's just such a huge misconception that I feel like we're starting to break out of. But I can get a leader I can tell a leader precisely what he needs to do to feel fantastic and to get the best out of his follower. But for some reason, we were always such a pattern-driven community for the longest time. And leaders felt like they learned how to lead patterns from leaders. Mm -hmm. And now that we've made that shift into being more of a technically focused community, I feel like it's opened the door for followers to be a lot more successful.
1: Do you think it's just that or because I remember because, you know, we both had partners, you had Ronnie, I had Robert.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, And sometimes when you're when you're teaching with a leader, and a leader asks a question that is asking a question about a female, they were they take that question to the leader. Yes, instead of taking it to the follower. Right. And more often than not, I would have to say, let me answer that. Or even like a question like, something that's leader based, but only a follower can answer because the follower follows. Right. So, right. <laughs> uh, um, so do you, do you think that sometimes that men feel that women don't know because the questions are always geared towards leaders in classes, even when there is a partnership?
2: Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, the patriarchy is alive and well, let's be honest. And it, <laughs> it exists in the West coast swing community. And, um, Typically, it's the male voice that you hear. It's the male voice in workshops. It's the male voice on the microphone. It's Great. it's the male voice that's dominating everything right now. And even to the point where when I'm training female teachers, I talk to them about how to make their voice sound better on, uh, on a microphone in a big ballroom. Because mm-hmm. microphones and sound systems, they're geared towards the male voice, towards a deeper voice. And women can sound uh we can come across sounding almost shrill and abrasive on a microphone, especially when we raise our voice for volume. And, and it's little things like that, that a, uh, the teachers need to be aware of in order to command the authority that they really need to run a room. This is something you do beautifully. And there are it, it but it takes work. It doesn't just happen automatically and it mm-hmm. takes training yourself. It takes, putting yourself in a situation and studying under other women who do it well. And it certainly doesn't happen by accident. I also feel it's really important for any woman in a partnership to make sure every workshop has to have a lead voice and a secondary voice. You can't have two people talking over each other. And so me and I fell into a really great (laughs) room where When we were teaching more pattern-based classes, he was the primary voice and I was the secondary voice. When we were teaching technique classes, I was the primary voice and he was the secondary voice. So we both had uh, equal authority in the partnership Mm -hmm. that we were teaching together. And it wasn't one of us residing underneath the other.
0: How did you develop that with him?
2: That one happened pretty organically. Um, I was definitely, as technical as he is, I am the technique junkie in the family. And uh-huh. so I, uh, that was just, it naturally got to the point where when we were teaching technique classes, I wouldn't shut up. So he did right. And <laughs> which for those of you who know, Ronnie, know it's a really <laughs> big deal. Yes. So we just kind of fell into that natural rhythm early in the partnership. We would talk about, you know, I'd be like, you want to take the lead on this one or I'll take the lead on this one. And we would agree before the class. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of happened to the point where we didn't even have to talk about it anymore. We knew walking in.
0: Yeah, that's great. I, I have witnessed both what you talked about, Deborah, in terms of leaders directing questions to leaders. I've also witnessed a, a student in a workshop, just asking a question and the leader will always be answer. the one to answer Overstep. like will jump in. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so I, <clears throat> I, I'm excited that you're doing a workshop on helping w- upcoming women professionals, because I feel like for a lot of them maybe it's not happening organically. Right. And they, they need to be more proactive in establishing that relationship with their partner.
2: I agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. And and and, and leaders men, we need you to make space for us. We mm-hmm. need you to make spa- space for us. We shouldn't have to fight it every step of the way. Right. And it shouldn't feel like we're having to move somebody out of our way in mm-hmm. order to be successful. Um, so I feel like, especially in partnerships, leaders, you have to be very conscious, very conscious about making space for your followers to have a powerful, powerful voice.
1: Do you think that also part of the problem is the fact that um, most of our event directors are male? Mm-hmm. Okay, and a lot of our event directors will make statements like, "I only hire couples," and then you'll look on the website or the flyer, and there'll be a single male. Yes. Um, And then as a female. So here's the problem that I run into. Obviously, you and I have different personalities. Brandy, that's why we're yin and yang. You and I, when we hang out together, it's perfect. (laughs) Right. So when I run into a situation like that, I I call it the event director. And I'm like, so so like what's like what's your motivation? Do you think that followers can't lead as well as leaders lead? Because as far as I'm concerned, I feel like leaders can't follow as well as follows. Follow, So it's kind of, we're in the same, you know, I, I we're equal, right? So, right. So why is it that you'd hire a single male and not a single female? And I will tell you that quite honestly, none of them have a good answer for me. They kind of do the backstroke a yeah, little bit. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I, one of the things I am very sensitive to is event directors hire for different reasons. Sure. When it comes to events, I always say, you have education, you have competition you have social dancing and you should pick two and do them really, really, really well.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: so for me, when Ronnie and I were running city of angels, I hired with the intention of populating my classic and showcase divisions. Right. I hired couples because the workshops weren't the primary focus of our event. It was the the competitions and the social dancing. Mm -hmm. So I hired couples to populate those divisions. Um, And if, if event directors, I, I can't get hired in Europe on my own. I have, I am in a couple of places, but your European directors are going to be like, I need a show. I need a routine. I need a routine in my show. And if you can't bring me a routine, I can't hire you.
1: I've had that problem too.
2: And so that is something that's very common and I'm not going to criticize an event promoter for the reasons they're hiring. But yes, it's exactly what you're talking about is, oh, well, I only hire couples Except Benji, or I only hire. Right. Couples, except Robert, I only hire couples. Except for this guy.
1: Except and John Lindo, or yeah.
2: That's, that's when I start having an issue with it, just like you do.
1: hmm And
2: they never have a good answer.
0: Right. Just okay, so them. I'm not the only one.
2: It's always been.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm wondering what other challenges you faced because you said the patriarchy is real. Yep. Um, so what are some of the challenges you faced? Um, as a solo dance professional, a female solo dance professional?
2: It took a really (laughs) long time. Well, first of all, I started teaching in my 20s, early 20s. And I started teaching in country. And one of the big parts of um, country is pro-am. And establishing authority as a young 20-something female dancing pro-am with middle-aged men is is quite an adventure i'll tell you that much Uh, i got treated often like an employee and i had to actually end relationships with students over the fact that they would not allow me to reside in a position of authority and i and i would tell them i'm like you're not hiring me as an employee you're hiring me as an expert right and it's it's like hiring an expert in any field you want to allow them to do their job so that's really interesting and then it's funny because I don't know you, about you, Deborah, but man, I love my forties. I love yeah, my me 40s too so much. Yeah, I uh, I don't have to work as hard to have a voice of authority because people are granting it to me based on on the work I've done so far. So I'm I'm reaping the benefits of being good at my job for the last twenty years, and that's uh, that's a really nice place to be. But in a, as in a lot of things. Being a single female teacher, I have to be a little bit better. I have to be a little bit better than the guys in order to get the same credit. Um, I have to be able to run the room properly, to command authority, to have a well-structured, well-organized workshop that has a good flow to it. I have to be able to speak with authority on the leader's role and the follower's role. I have to be able to pull any follower out of class and get her through the very pattern that I'm teaching so that the leader's see me as an authority and see the material material as viable. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's just a matter of putting in the time, doing the work and continuing to pursue that excellence. That's finally going to get people to say, all right, (laughs) all right, we're ready to learn from you. And then we have some cool events doing some, some, uh, really great work like sweet side of swing. Sweet Side of Swing was just Alan Anisella started that, and it was uh, just such a great concept of of just looking at West Coast Swing through the view of the, the followers only, right. and having a, a female only teaching staff. But you know, it was a tricky one. He he struggled to get the numbers, and then when they launched it in the north uh, the northwest in Vancouver, they struggled to get the numbers because leaders would look at the flyer and think, "Well, this isn't for me. What am I going to learn?" Right. And the they mentality
1: just, needs to change.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think sweet side of swing. It was a good concept. I did it a co- many uh, years ago. And I I did notice, though, that the leaders appreciated the followers as instructors. They enjoyed um, their perspective. And um, their, remember, followers also, their, their mentality comes. We're nurturers, women. So we, we, you know, we nurture people when we teach them. So we have a different way of looking at how we approach teaching. Right. So we're, we're very motherly in, in our, even though we have our stern moments, we're very motherly in, in, in our teaching. And I think men would benefit more. Um, if they just give us that open that door for us a little Absolutely. bit. Yeah. And,
2: and I think, I think it is opening. I think our, our newer generation of dancers is definitely more open-minded. And they're used to, used to hearing, uh, from an authoritative woman and follower more often Um, I find I, it's, it's our older generation of dancers that are still a little more, uh, stuck in that status quo of wanting to learn from a leader.
0: Mm. Hmm. I think a lot of that is what you said of the dance used to be much more pattern driven Mm -hmm. and maybe in places where it still is, leaders don't see the value of studying with a follower. Um, but the more we get technique and more importantly, connection focused, um, like I often seek out female instructors, including both of you, um, both of you, by the way, I will say happen to be really articulate. I mean, you're both really good teachers. Um, but there are times where I have worked with female instructors who can tell me their experience, but not necessarily articulate what it is they want me to do as a leader to, to change their experience. So, um, but that to me is about being a teacher. Like I have some some male teachers that I go to as leaders who also aren't articulate (laughs) So to me. It's a matter of, of what you said, Brandy, like, and it's unfortunate that you have to kind of exceed, you know, you have to go past the bar to prove yourselves. But, um, I I always tell my students both leader and follower, I get the question all the time. Um, do I study with the same role or the opposite role? And I'm like, yes, Yes. (laughs) the (laughs) answer is you study with both. You want both perspectives. This is a, a two person dance. Um, but I, I do think that as we get more technique and, and connection focused that um teachers like both of yourselves who who can speak about the technique, about movement, about connection from both sides, that hopefully that will break that down, that you won't have as many leaders resisting or not pursuing um female instructors.
2: I agree. And that that's another point. And I think we all say this, but I don't know how many people take it as seriously as they should. Dancing and teaching are two completely different skill sets.
3: Agreed, yes. They are
2: two completely different skill sets. And if, if you're teaching from only the perspective of being a dancer, you're not going to be very articulate. And you're not going to be able to tell your student what they need to do to create what you're asking them to create. You're only telling them what they need to create. And that does not work. You have to learn how to teach.
1: So, do that, so that's what I was getting to. I feel like good dancer doesn't necessarily mean good teacher good teacher doesn't necessarily mean good dancer when you have both of them it's a gift and just because you learn something or know something doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be a good teacher correct right yeah um so that's why like i don't care how many you know tests you take or how many words you learn part of teaching is having great communication skills and being articulate in how you presents the information
2: and being being able to change your viewpoint quickly as you see what your student needs right um you have to have 12 different ways to present the same information because it sticks with one of them but the other 11 are completely right. useless on any given person I say
3: that
2: and time. and so i i just think it's important that people study the idea of teaching as much as they study their dancing
0: Right, and I would add that it's not not just having the twelve different ways, but knowing which way to use. Yes, like I I think a lot of people have a lot of knowledge and they know different ways of saying it, but they're not being responsive to the student or students in front of them.
1: Right, and, right. and knowing it is different than experiencing it. Right, just because you know you have to have done it. That, that's that's my argument all the time. It's like I don't care how many times you've you know seen a sugar push or can break down the sugar push and know that no, know know, you know, you do this on one, you do that on two. Can you, can you do a sugar push? Have you experienced a sugar push? To me, that's the difference between being a good teacher and a great teacher.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I have a lot of people coming to me right now asking for uh, kind of mentorship and guidance in mm-hmm. making a career in this business.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's
2: funny because every single time, Every single time I talk to a new one, I'm like, there are no guarantees and there's no linear path. I can't help you map out a path to success in this business. Mm-hmm. Um, making it to the top in this business really does require some luck, but I also wholeheartedly believe in the definition of luck, that it's where opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so for all of these up and coming young professionals that want to get to the top, I'm like, you have to be ready. You have to be prepared. And then when opportunity presents, you have to be ready to seize it and give it everything you have. But you can't manufacture opportunity out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And right. so, um, so there's I laugh because I, I, I like what Robert said one time. He said people ask me all the time how you know, how do you get good? But that's not what they're asking. They're asking, how do you get good fast? Right. That's really the question is everybody wants the show, yeah. but there aren't any. There aren't any, you just have to put in the work.
1: So getting to that, because I've noticed that work, dancing, and all those things are are kind of two different things, like being a dancer and you you get where I'm going with this. So seeing where the dance is going right now, what do you, what do you think about where the dance is going right now, where it is? And, And what do you think about competition right now, as far as the dance? Is concerned. I know it's concerned. And it was a loaded question. And I can you see it on your to do face. It,
2: you? You I had to, to do it. Um, so
1: let it out, well, girl.
2: I, I actually have said this in some of my classes recently. This is the first time in my career that I am genuinely concerned for the future of our dance. Mm. I feel like we're lost, and I feel like we need to be recentered. I recently experienced this major, like, flash of hope when uh, the demo video of Maxime and Tori dancing to Sinatra went viral. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was just scooped up and viewed and shared and raved over, but everybody's saying, this, this is West Coast Swing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, since we all agree, can we just do this?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) Um, It doesn't seem like we're arguing that this is not West Coast Swing. So let's, let's kind of head in that direction. But we're lost when it comes to the music. Mm -hmm. And the music that is is filling the floor right now is not music that's conducive to swing. Um, We're lost in competition a little bit, not a little bit, but a lot. And Mm -hmm. one of the big things that was a pivotal point in it was when swing content was put in the hands of the judges rather than a scrutineer. And we have a lot of judges that just don't like to call swing content. So Mm -hmm. dancers are out there getting away with everything but West Coast Swing. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching hip hop routines that are trying to satisfy the swing content and a contemporary routine that's trying to satisfy the swing content instead of a swing routine that has the flavor of something else. Right. And um, it's one of the big reasons that I'm not feeling hugely called to be on the competition floor in classic right now. Mm -hmm. I want to, but I'm kind of waiting to watch things shake out a little bit and see which direction that we're going. Um, I think our judges at the open this year, man, they have a big responsibility. I, I don't know why this one feels really significant to me
3: mm-hmm. in, in
2: how things are going to play out in the direction that we start moving. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that we recenter. I'm hoping that we kind of get back to that idea of what we truly believe West Coast Swing to be and um, and come back to honoring the dance that we do while welcoming the influence of other dances, as opposed to trying to bring those other dances directly into our community. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Would you yeah. say that most of the the reason why our dance is in such a, is in peril, so to speak, right now, is because of the judging? Because they reward what we, what we think is not.
2: Yes. So mm-hmm. one of the things... One of the things that in the country community, so I feel like country is dismissed by a lot of other dance communities as kind of being the redheaded stepchild of dance, but country dancers have to be far more versatile than any other partner dancers that I know of. So in standard, you have your standard dances, which have a particular skill set in Latin, you have your Latin dances, a particular skill set, um, in in country, we do swing dances, we do rhythm dances, we do Latin dances, we do smooth dances. Like we have to do it all from one minute to the next. Like we're we're constantly going from one to the next. And one of the things they drill into you when it comes to judging a country competition is uh, you have to be able to separate general dance skill from dance specific skills. And so if you think about general dance skill and the way a dancer carries their body, the way they move, the way they partner, the way they spin, their balance, their control, their core, like all of these general dance skills you need in every dance style. But then we have some dance specific techniques that you have to be able to execute that are what make West Coast Swing look and feel like West Coast Swing.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So we have some couples that have come into our community that have tremendous tremendous general dance skills but their west coast swing specific skills aren't very strong Mm
3: -hmm. yet they're
2: getting rewarded because they're wonderful movers they're wonderful dancers even if they're not wonderful west coast swing dancers yet and i think our judges need a little bit more education on being able to separate those general dance skills from our dance specific skills um one of the Examples that I've been using with people lately is um, if I'm judging an apple pie contest and I have a, a table full of apple pies in front of me, 20 apple pies, and I have to taste them all and I have to determine who I which pie I think is the best. And somebody plops a peach pie right in the middle of the table, that peach pie is going to be really exciting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a good analogy i'm probably going to have an emotional reaction to that peach pie because it's just going to break up the monotony of the apple Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's what's happening in our community is that we are a one dance community and that sometimes somebody plops a peach pie in the division and our judges are not doing a very good job of separating their emotional reaction to something different from actually determining that it doesn't actually belong there a peach pie should never place top five in an apple pie contest. Right. Yet we we have that happening a lot right now.
0: That's very
1: true. I love that analogy. I'm stealing that. <laughs> take it. Take it
0: run. <laughs> take it. I'm taking and running it. So, what do you think then is lacking in our judging? Like education. what's what's the education.
2: issue? Education,
0: education, mm-hmm. education,
2: certification, <laughs> continuing education.
0: So there, there are a couple of certification programs out there now.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I'm, I'm only vaguely familiar with them, but I'm curious, you know, do you think people just aren't pursuing it? Is it, you know, is it event directors are not seeking certified judges? Like what's going to drive the change? The
2: people who are certified through those programs have no resume and they're not going to get hired.
0: But they do though.
2: Pardon?
1: But they do though.
2: Some of them do. Some of them. It's not very often. Um, and the the judges that are getting hired are not going to go through that certification process.
1: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Why why would, why would I, I don't need to, I I, I already have enough authority. I have a resume. People are going to hire me to judge whatever. So I think there needs to be, um, and this is where we're going to get stuck and this is where we always get stuck. We always get stuck somewhere around this three letter word pronounced ego.
1: Um, (laughs) True story. (laughs)
2: because we need to have a central body and we need to have a central body that's certifying judges and requiring a certain amount of continuing education every year to maintain your certification but the ego place is that there's a lot of people in the community that feel like they should be the ones running a program like that they should be the ones developing a curriculum for a program like that they should be the ones executing a program like that there's just so many people that are like well I I should be the one to do that that it's just not getting done And until we can come to some sort of agreement on what type of body would put this into place, whether it would be a, a a branch of the world swing dance council or something altogether different, something has to happen though. And I
1: I do know something that's in the works. I'm not going to mention, but I do know something and someone that is thinking about doing um, that and, and having people like, you, myself, and a couple of others be part of it, and we also get certified underneath it um, as well. I think the problem is this, Brandy, is that we have all of these certification um, programs, and right, and there are some people that are like, why should I do it, why should I do it? They don't make, events don't make judging a natural stepping stone for people like us where it's feasible for us to be there. So then we have to find other ways to, you know, make our career keep going, like getting back on the floor or, you know, choreographing this and that. And, and people like us who are off the floor should be judging because we're the most qualified. Right. Right. But they don't make it a natural stepping stone, nor that they, do they make it feasible for us to do it. So the other Tom, Dick and Harry's who aren't as knowledgeable as we are end up becoming judges because the pay is not that great and they don't it doesn't matter to them. Right. And, and, and so, hence why we're in this conundrum with West Coast Swing.
2: Absolutely. Well, and the other thing is, is, uh, this is kind of off topic, but I would love to see the classic and showcase division at the U S open. Uh, one of two things has to happen is it either needs to become a dedicated West coast swing division, right? Or we have to educate our judges on all styles of swing. One of the two has to happen. You can't have an open swing division with only judges who know West coast swing. Mm hmm. Uh, because that's creating another issue altogether.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, I mean, judges don't get paid enough. Uh, I'm regularly at an event where they don't hire enough of a qualified staff to have your champs, Jack and Jill, and Strictly Swing judged. Right. Like they're like grabbing housekeeping and handing them a clipboard. <laughs> 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 I Which I I'm actually kind of cool.
0: <laughs> actually, I was going to say that we might get better results I out would there. really oh, enjoy that. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh,
2: Yeah, because, you know, staffing an event, you know, staffing an event is expensive and it's hard. Yes. And, but I think that events need to really dedicate part of their resources to hiring a good judging staff Mm -hmm. that's there just to judge. That's what they're there for. That's what they're doing. They're not teaching this workshop and competing in this and then judging over here. Uh, I would like to keep the teaching staff and the judging staff separate. We're also a baby community. So I think we're running into a few things. We're a baby community that has more longevity than any other competitive dance style. I know of. that's true. So I, you know, I would have aged out of competing in ballroom and Latin by now. Mm -hmm. And once you age out of that, then you're likely to end up in one of those judging spots. Either you're going to be a coach or you're going to be a judge in West coast swing. We wear all the hats, and I mean, you and I have been camped out in our champs Jack and Jill chair for what twenty years now.
1: Yeah, it's a long like, time. <laughs> I feel like an old time. Oh my god! When you say <laughs> it like that, it sounds so awful. Do you know what's awful? What?
2: Why haven't we been Why haven't we been pushed out yet?
1: Because there's no one challenging us. Because we're still good.
2: I know, but why? Is that our fault? Have we not brought up the next generation to be better than us?
1: That's a loaded question.
2: That's my concern. Now I'm starting, the fact that I'm not, I haven't been pushed out of my chair, I'm now starting to question whether or not that's a personal failing as a coach. I should be grooming a generation of women that are going to beat the snot out of me and kick me out
1: of my chair. I don't think that it's not that we're not grooming because we teach all over the country and all over the world. And we, we are, I think it's, we're in a generation who wants instant gratification and doesn't want to do the work. And what the people that are coming up right now don't realize is that most of us sitting up there are not West coast swing dancers. We're dancers. We're trained dancers. (laughs) (laughs) And your dog thinks the same, that's so funny. Is that the bell? It's something so, at the door. Somebody
2: thought about walking by and my dogs have things to say about it.
1: I, I think it's great. It makes it organic. Um, so, so I think that's the problem. I think the problem isn't that we're not grooming people to be better dancers. I think people just don't want to do the work.
2: Well, that's another thing that I've, I've talked about is precisely this. Uh, West coast swing is not a dance discipline.
1: Mm-mm. There that's
2: is correct. no discipline. If you want discipline, you have to go find it. Right. Um, all the physical discipline I cultivated did not come from West Coast Swing. The physical yeah. discipline you have did not come from West Coast You're Swing. Right. So our um, our All-Stars right now and some of our newer champions, it's the first generation of exclusive West Coast Swing dancers.
3: Correct.
2: And, and a lot of them are missing some really fundamental things, uh, like good foot positions and proper activation of the core and posture and just that physical
1: discipline. But Brandy does talk about you talk about it. I talk about it. Robert Royston talks about it. Um, I even think uh, Michael Kielbasa has talked about it. We all tell our students, if you want to be a good West coast swing dancer, please go take some other form of movement, whether it's Tai Chi or, Pilates or yoga or jazz or hip hop or something that teaches you about your body. Don't you talk about that? I do all the time. But the problem,
2: (laughs) the problem is, is there are so many dancers that are succeeding without it right now that the people that we're telling to go do it, aren't seeing the value in it.
1: And that's
0: the judge's fault.
2: And here we go. Full circle. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back to that.
0: I will also add though, as somebody, and I, I know I will admit I lack the discipline <laughs> and I lack a lot of the training uh, for all sorts of reasons, but I will also say, um, I, I think it's interesting, Brandy, that you asked that question. I think it's great that you're asking that question of not, are you failing? Cause I don't think you're failing, but I will say that it is the responsibility of both parties, right? So like me as a student, I should be working my ass off and but conversely, because I ask the same thing of my students when I teach, like if a student's not succeeding, I go, well, what, what did I do? Right. Right. And it's to your point, Deborah. I agree. The instruction is out there and it's very much on the student to, to practice that and work on it and continue to study it and study it again and again. Um, but I I I think of, um, when I think of teaching and I think of people learning, I think of it as behavior modification, right? We're teaching you skills. And when it comes to learning skills, it requires three things. It requires instruction, right? Like direction of what to do, but it also requires the passion and commitment to do it. And it also requires that regular focus practice. And the thing that's not mentioned there, that's kind of, um, helpful, Is what and you talked about this, Brandy, when you're here in San Francisco, like there's a difference between teaching and coaching.
3: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: And I can give you instruction, but I also feel like my job as a teacher is to coach you and instill the discipline, instill the motivation, um, and be available as a resource to keep you going. Right. And I will say that, um, I just recently tried to get a private lesson with somebody that I've been wanting to study with for like years now it's so hard, right? So I can get into workshops and I'm not saying that workshops aren't valuable. Um, I will try to be in every workshop I can, but there's an element of, of like an ongoing mentorship or coaching relationship that is really hard to get access to Hi. from those of you at the top. And it's in part because there's so few of you, and there's a lot of demand for your time and you guys are traveling a lot, yes. but I will say that you know, yes, the instruction is great. And, and I agree that we as students should be doing more and pursuing it if we really want it. Um, but it would be great to also have access to an ongoing mentorship or, or coaching relationship.
2: I, I agree with that. And it's, <clears> it's hard, <throat> it is hard, to establish because time is, we are spread so thin, uh, when it comes to traveling and I, I walk into these communities and I work with such amazing dancers and I feel like I just am able to scratch the surface with them. And, and I definitely coach people differently when I'm working with them once in a while versus the students I have weekly at home. Mm -hmm. Like I try to give them a, a, a progression. I want you to work on this until you get to here. And then I want you to work on this until you get to here. And then I want you to go work on this. And then hopefully I'm going to see you again and we can continue moving through this. Whereas, at home, somebody I see weekly, I have the luxury of time and Mm -hmm. I can put them through that progression myself
0: and keep them on the path and keep
2: them on the path. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But as, as a, as a traveling instructor, I can just hand people the information and Mm -hmm. I can tell them how to utilize it. And then it's up to them to do something with it. And I think, I think that's a mistake. A lot of local coaches, Uh, And local teachers are are making is um, is you do this really well, Eric. But if if you're going to bring a national traveling pro and you are the local teacher, you should be studying with that pro as much as possible right, so right that right. you have their, uh, you have an understanding of their material that you can continue fostering in your mm-hmm. students after that pro leaves. But I find a lot of people will bring me in and they will set me up to work with their students, but they themselves don't train with me. So mm-hmm. while they have this huge opportunity to take the material that I handed their student and they can handle the progression and they can be that Uh, that driving force they miss that opportunity and so not only do they not have that income potentially but there's nobody in the community providing that for the students right so Mm -hmm. i would like to see local teachers Uh, there are some people who are doing it really well right now there are some people Mm -hmm. i see doing it really well but i would love to see uh, more involvement at the local level
0: yeah by the way i just spent the whole month re not reteaching, but working on all the material that you gave us when you were <laughs> here. Right. But exactly for that point, like what's the point of bringing in an instructor and just kind of drop in and, and leave, right. right. Without actually absorbing the material and, and all the material, I mean, you did like basically a four hour intensive. It takes time to work on that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I definitely think the, the ongoing relationship is important, but I will say that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that both of you have both trained women who have made it up to your level.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. So what was different there? What was, what was effective or successful, successful with those women who did make it up to your level?
2: Their drive and motivation.
0: Yeah. Want the wants to do it.
2: Just the, (laughs) the, just the sheer passion passion and commitment.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And gosh, I don't know, talent, (laughs) Um, you guys, not everybody can make it to the top, right? Not everybody can make it to the top. Mm -hmm. I posted this on Facebook once and, and like, I did not make it to the, I was a great softball player. I didn't make it to the Olympics, not because the tryout process wasn't fair because Mm -hmm. I wasn't good enough. The end, that was why I didn't make the Olympic team. That's cool. Like I'm at peace with that, but I feel like there's a lot of West coast swing dancers that are not at peace with that idea. Mm -hmm. They think that as long as they dance long enough, they deserve to make it to the top. But I see the champions division. It's like the NFL. How many division one, uh, call NCAA college baseball. I'm I'm sorry. Football players make it to the NFL. Not many. Like just very, very small percentage. Yeah, everybody thinks that if they make it to advanced, they should someday make it to all-stars, and if they make it to all-stars, they should someday make it to champions.
1: Yeah, they think that all-stars is natural stepping stone to champions, and it just isn't.
2: It isn't. Champions is right. an elite <laughs> division reserved for people who primarily do this for a living.
1: And That's who happen it, to have talent.
2: And the, and there's that T-word. The uh, <laughs> that have some talent. There are certain gifts in dancing just like every other sport and every everything every art there are certain things that can't be taught there are those certain intangibles that what is who's beeping
0: it's not me it's not <laughs> me it's not me i don't know that was weird <laughs> i just looked at my computer to see but this <laughs> skype will self-destruct in 30 seconds <laughs> <minutes. Sorry.
3: laughs>
2: they're keeping me out <laughs> All Right. Uh, no, there are certain things. uh, Not every, not everybody can make it. Not everybody has what it takes. I tell my students, I said, if you are an amateur recreational dancer, I need you to assume advanced is the end of the road for you. Mm -hmm. Assume advanced is the end of the road. If you ever make it to all stars bonus, but if you just are doing this recreationally for fun, there's nothing past advanced for you. And I think our, our entire community would be well served to understand that and to enjoy where they are and the process of competing a little bit more than looking towards whatever's next. Um, I, I I counsel my students that like the goal of a division is to not get out of it. The goal mm-hmm. of a division is to dominate it until they throw you out. Right. And okay. so I don't I don't buy into that. Well, I have enough points now, I'm gonna move up.
1: I say that to people too. I'm like, well, how many times have you won in in that division? Yeah. And they're like, uh, none. I was like, then you're not ready.
2: Well, and, and why why would you not want to make it to the top of your division and enjoy enjoy existing at the top of your division before you go hang out in the bottom of someone else's?
3: Right. Like, exactly.
2: <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Like, when somebody, I forgot. This was so many years ago. Somebody was competing and he goes, I'm in the half that makes the top half possible.
3: <laughs> that's funny. That's awesome. God,
1: that's hilarious.
3: Yeah, I- that's pretty funny.
0: So, I mean, part of the problem is yeah that people everybody wants to dance with somebody better. We just talked about this with Tom. Right. Um On our last episode, that everybody wants to dance with somebody better, and and he even related the story of Annie Hirsch saying to somebody who jumped up. This was before there were levels, and she put herself in like the top division. And Annie was like, "What are you doing in this division?" And she's like, "Well, I want to dance with the better dancers." And she's like, "So does everybody else?" (laughs) 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 Right? So do the better dancers, right? And and people do want to dance with the better dancers. I hear it especially from followers, and honestly, I do I do sympathize with the followers having to dance with some of these leaders in their same division. Um, but yeah, then they're the person that other people want to move up because of, um, but that is, uh, you know, it, it is part of the system we have and like people kind of get pushed up, um, or, or the drive to be up. But I wanted to get back to the, the other thing you were saying about, um, like some people just don't have it and, uh, because it's something I've told myself at various times in my career. And it's something I've grappled with. Um, honestly, Deborah, there was a lesson where you, you implied that I might not have it at some point, And it was early on. And I, I, I don't blame you for it. I wasn't like mad about it. I actually appreciated you saying like, and the way I took it was like, I needed to work my ass off. But I think something I struggle with personally and also working with students is fostering a growth mindset. Right. Right. Because if they don't, if they have a fixed mindset, they just don't work as hard. Like they don't think they, and your dog agrees apparently.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's not not that I it's,
0: can do with those. That's, that's all right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, if somebody goes in thinking, well, maybe I just don't have it, that can really affect their motivation and their, their drive. Absolutely. Um, so how do, how do you set realistic expectations as a teacher with a student and yet not squash their motivation.
2: So, so to me, the drive to be as good as you can be has nothing to do with where you land in a competitive hierarchy. Mm Incorrect. So if you're trying to decide if you have what it takes to get to champions, that's not any of your business at this point. So you need to buckle down and work where you are and work mm-hmm. to become the best you can be. And then if you have it, you're going to get there. And if you don't, you're not. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll never forget. I had a, I had a, somebody that I've worked with a bunch uh, made a champions final. And he came to me and he goes, I just, I can't help but feel like I don't belong here. This is before the finals. He goes, I don't belong here. I'm terrified. I said, whether or not you belong here is none of your business. It was the judge's business.
0: And they decided
2: you belonged here. So shut up and go dance. Right. And we are the ones who get to ultimately decide where we belong in a competitive hierarchy. There's a point system in place. There are judges, there's competitive structure. There's all of that stuff. Uh, So all you can do, there was actually a book I read on acting and I really liked what they said. They said, uh, talent, if there's any such thing, Is not something you can control and you don't even know if you have it or not. So spend no time thinking about it. Spend Mm -hmm. your time thinking about what you can control and that is how hard you work Mm -hmm. and how much you learn. So I don't think people should become consumed with the idea of whether or not they have it, but I do think we all need to be honest in understanding that at some point I'm going to peak Mm
1: -hmm.
2: at some point I'm going to peak and I need to be at peace with that idea.
1: So do you think it's important to make people understand that, um, like I try to say, like, don't focus on like getting out of a division and moving up into the next division. I said, focus on improving on your, on your dancing. And and the better you become in your dancing, the natural progression is that you'll either move out of the division or win the division. Yeah, exactly. Right.
2: I tell people, I said, I I tell all the time, I said, if I ask you what your goal in dancing is, there's only one answer I will accept. And that is to continually improve my quality of movement. Mm hmm. And if you do that, if you continue to improve your quality of movement, um, the other goals that are within your reach are going to be realized, but right. setting these external goals, especially Jack and Jill's gosh, I am so tired of people hanging their, their, uh, their sense of self-worth on a Jack and Jill results.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There's literally one thing I control in a Jack and Jill and that's what I wear. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Everything else is outside my control. I don't decide what I dance to, who I dance with, what time I dance. I don't get to control anything. Mm -hmm. I am asked to create a masterpiece on command without setting any of the, the terms. Mm -hmm. How realistic is that? So I'm probably going to create mediocre, whatever, most of the time. And then every once in a while you have that, that magical moment. And I also think we kind of have a skewed perspective, um, compliments of YouTube. Like we, yes. we all go on YouTube and we watch one amazing Jack and Jill dance after another, one after another. We forget that there's like 30 champs dances that don't make it to YouTube for every one that does because they're mm-hmm. just not special. There's nothing special. They were just another good apple pie. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of let them bypass. But when we're used to watching one after the other, we think every dance should be that. And that's not the case.
0: Do you yeah. think
1: that's how the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The the non-natural standing ovation has happened now, now that we stand <laughs> for everybody.
2: <laughs> Yay, they danced. I'm going to stand yeah. up and clap. Right. Uh, yeah that's exactly it I, I mean I'm okay with that I feel like on some level I I like showing the appreciation for people just having the balls to get out on the dance floor in front of a room full of people and do what they do mm-hmm. I mean it's just it's brave no matter how you look at it it's brave to stand on a competition floor and dance it's, very, it's a very vulnerable <laughs> thing uh, as a dancer you can't separate the dance from the dancer and so when, when somebody rejects my dancing, they're rejecting me on on some level. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think dancing is such a vulnerable thing. And so the bravery it takes to walk out on the floor and do it, I think, I think dancers should be honored for that. So I'm okay with the artificial standing ovation just as a reward for somebody's efforts and, and, and their, their guts to even do it. But I think that this idea that every dance is supposed to be magical kind of leads to that desperation we sometimes feel. Yeah. See in dancers where the audience isn't reacting, and so they feel compelled to make something happen. And um, oftentimes it's pretty bad.
1: Crashes and burns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes.
2: It's, it's like this, this forced, forced situation that just creates chaos.
1: Pull your roller skates on. Give me your flaming baton and pull the rabbit
0: out of your ass. Go yeah. sparkles, sparkles, <laughs> sparkles. <laughs> like trolls. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Well, Deborah and I were actually just talking about this, I think earlier this week, where if you look at any division, if you're lucky, you get one or two good, like really wow dances. Right. right? And then you're going to get quite a few that are going to crap out. Like, they're just not gelling, or something goes wrong. And then the rest are going to be those mediocre apple pies.
2: Absolutely. And you know what? In the champions division, those mediocre apple pies are actually really damn good apple
1: pies. No, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. But
2: we're just not, we're so jaded right now. Yeah. We're one dance community, and it's like we've seen it all. So the audience reacts to the peach pies. Mm -hmm. And And that
1: makes the people who do really good apple pies feel really bad.
2: Exactly. And it makes people think that we should be looking for the peach pies. And also, no matter how you break it down, the judges respond to the audience's energy behind them.
1: We talked about this.
2: And so it's, that's what's happening right now. And I, I, I would love to see the audience. We're a one dance community. Our audiences should be very well educated. They should be well educated more than they should be bored and jaded. And I would love to see the audiences showing some, Appreciation for great, well-connected West Coast swing dancing,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I don't feel like that's <clears throat> happening. One of the ones that comes to mind is um *Boogie by the Bay*.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Champs Jack and Jill, uh, Sean McKeever and Tori Zowie,
1: mm-hmm. did not place top five. You know, I know.
2: Phenomenal dances.
1: Yeah. They were right. just
2: delightful to experience.
1: Yeah, I loved great. them
2: so much, and the audience just. It's like they couldn't be bothered because
1: they were like, impress me. And meanwhile, it was great dancing. Right. Yeah. Can
2: I, can right. I please impress you with great dancing? Is that possible?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so, so now we go back to the judging then. And the reason why the audience isn't impressed is because the judging rewards the stuff that we think is great. They don't reward. I don't so know. Audi- I feel
2: like we're kind of in a chicken and egg kind of situation. So what do we do? It's not rewarding it because the audience (laughs) is reacting is the audience reacting because the judges aren't rewarding. Right. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I I don't have a good answer there, but I, again, I'm going to go back to, I would love to see our audiences start coming across as well-educated instead of bored and jaded. Mm -hmm. When I dance dance for a country audience, everybody's just forward in their chairs and they just, they're like waiting for what I have to offer them. And they're mm-hmm. waiting with open arms and open, just this openness. And in a West Coast swing competition, I feel like the audience is sitting back. with Going, their
1: impress hands me.
2: Crossed, yes. Waiting to be impressed
1: mm-hmm. instead of
2: just accepting of what I have to offer. It's a very different feeling.
0: It's very true. Would you say, though, that. So getting to the chicken and egg thing, there's also, I feel at your level, champion level, there are people creating the peach pie, right? So instead of saying we're going to go out there and do, you know, our quote unquote, just good dancing, there are people who are trying to appeal to the audience, entertain the audience. And, and let's be honest. I mean, I'm not blaming people for that because to some extent that is your role, right? Like, and, and event directors, you were saying before, like, I want you to be able to put on a show for my attendees. Um, but if people are chasing the peach pie and they're putting it out there, right? To like dangle it in front of people. Yeah. They're going to want a taste of the peach pie.
3: Absolutely. So,
0: so what is the responsibility of our top dancers? for for educating people for putting out really good apple pies for people to sample and be excited about
2: well i'm not going to speak to what i think anybody should do i will speak to what i actually do and Mm -hmm. that's all i can do you know one of the beautiful things about our dance is there's not a singular standard so uh there's this spectrum and we all have our role in creating the spectrum we don't want to create carbon copies of one another Mm -hmm. Uh, but one thing I promise all of my students is that every time I walk off the floor, I will have honored my values as a dancer. And my number one value as a dancer is that I will honor my leader by remaining a follower Mm -hmm. and allowing my leader to maintain the structure of the dance. And I feel like that's missing in a lot of places.
1: I feel like you and I are similar that way, Brandon. Absolutely. Yeah. We think that way. Mm-hmm. I
2: um, I thrive in a well-constructed dance instead of somebody who's giving me too much space trying to get me to make something happen. Right. Um, the other thing is, is I am willing to have a boring dance in public.
1: Yeah, I, me too. <laughs> it's
2: shocking. But yeah. I, my I don't have a lot of train wrecks out on the competition floor because my worst dances are typically clean, well-connected, and boring. And that is, that's the worst I have to offer you. And I'm really comfortable with that
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, because I function under the idea that uh, magic just happens in the right conditions. And so I set the connect the conditions and then I see what happens instead of the idea that I'm trying to make magic happen, which is where we start getting that chaos.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: that's just the way I choose to operate in this dance. That's not what everybody has to do. You know, you look at, Tatiana who just has this way of making magic Mm -hmm. and I use us as examples because I was like look if you ask Tatiana to dance like me she would die of boredom Mm -hmm. and if you asked me to dance like Tatiana I would die of a heart attack (laughs) 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 so thank god we don't have to dance like each other we both we can create the ends of the spectrum
1: Right. right and we can appreciate what everybody does that's like you said earlier that's what makes our dance so fantastic as no one looks like the other. I think the problem is, is that we have dancers who we are different, but I feel like they keep rewarding the same type of dancer.
2: I agree. Well, and the other thing is, is we have a responsibility at the top. You know, I was, I was watching, there was a clip that was put out uh, from Liberty of Kyle and Todd and she just pulled off, just such a Tatiana moment that was absolutely musically brilliant and, and executed in a way that you're just like, how on earth
1: did that happen? Right. She's magic. Yeah. She is magic,
2: but people look at that and they think that that should be a, a, a an attainable goal in a partner dance. And I was like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. These two have been dancing together since they were children and they are both gifted genius Mm -hmm. And what they just did is not something you should ever try to do.
1: Yeah. Don't try this at home, folks.
2: Exactly. But I feel like there is a sense of, oh, well, this is like something I should be trying to pursue. It's like, no, you should be trying to pursue well-connected partner dancing and then let these moments blossom within that instead of disconnecting from your partner to try to make something crazy happen.
1: They're getting rid of the spontaneity of the whole point of our dance. Right. Yeah.
2: And, and the other thing is, is I, I, I want to tell like entire divisions, advanced all stars, um, that I am not interested in how musical an individual can be. I'm interested in how musical a partnership can be. Right. And, and so I feel like we're watching a lot of people disconnect from their partner to chase something in the music as an individual instead of staying together as that partnership and pursuing the music together.
1: It's kind of like where society is. we're not a, we're not about being connected with one another. We're all about being separate,
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and being seen and being seen. <laughs> um, I was going to say too, because Deborah and I have talked about this with each other and with with guests that the dance is getting more athletic,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? It's not just about the, the the swing or the what makes that dance unique, the essence of it, but about being more athletic and physical. And I feel like I. I have this conversation with my students where they see high level dancers doing something physical or impressive, right? Physically. And they're drawn to that. And maybe I have failed as a teacher that they can't see the rest of it, but like, (laughs) but like, but that really does draw their eye as opposed to the fact that when Tatiana did that crazy stunt that it actually one was super connected to her partner you know, she was communicating with her leader, and it was musical, like it fit, Mm -hmm. right? And instead, people are just trying to replicate the physical act. Right. So I guess this gets back to the other question where you said, like, I wish the audience would be a more educated audience rather than, and a more appreciative audience rather than a, a critical or bored or jaded audience. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think would make that audience more educated and how much of that is the state of our teaching in our community?
2: That's a tough one. I don't know that I have a ready answer for that. Um, I, think, I think part of it is going to be, um, I would like to see a more appreciative audience. So I often talk about viewing, I view dancing through three lenses, appreciative, critical, and judgment. Judgment is strictly comparative. I'm comparing this couple to this couple and this couple to this couple in an effort to determine who I want to put first and who I want to put fifth. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe dancers should stop asking the judges for feedback because the act of me comparing your dancing to someone else's is not the same as me evaluating your dancing. Mm -hmm. So asking for my feedback after I judge you, I once had somebody ask me why they, why I placed them second. And I actually said, because you were worse than first and better than third.
1: That's a good answer though. I mean,
2: that's the best I can give you because I Mm -hmm. wasn't analyzing or evaluating your dancing. I was simply comparing your dancing to someone else's. So that's one lens I use. The other is a critical lens, which I use when I'm coaching. I'm looking for what's wrong. I'm trying to find what's wrong. And if I watch a division with a critical lens, I don't like anyone period because I'm looking for what's wrong. Mm -hmm. If I watch a division with an appreciative eye, I like everybody. Mm -hmm. But if I watch a division with an appreciative eye, and then you ask me, who do you think should win? I won't have an answer for you because I wasn't looking comparatively. Mm -hmm. I was just appreciating what these dancers had to offer. And that is what I would love to see our audiences doing a little bit more of, is sitting in the audience and appreciating what's being offered to them instead of judging it or or looking at it critically. And I think that would go a long way towards them embracing even the boring dances.
0: Great. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think of the state of teaching these days?
2: I love that we've turned that corner to a more technically focused community. Um, it, it is, it is, it used to be such a big deal for somebody to teach a workshop without a single pattern, right? <laughs> right. Oh my That's gosh, true. I didn't even teach a pattern uh, because your your groups expected material; they just expected content, and so I feel like we have this generation of awesome teachers that have started to really a student has to understand why the technique is valuable to them before they want to spend any time on technique. And I feel like we've cultivated that in our community. So that's great. I believe there's a lot of, um, mediocre information flying around out there. And I believe there's a lot of great dancers teaching mediocre crap because they are teaching what they were taught instead of what they do. And if they were teaching what they do, they would be great teachers because they're great dancers. But that's the disconnect is happening. And I think that the people who are out traveling right now have a responsibility to the community to start um, teaching what they actually put on the dance floor. Because if somebody comes to me, it's because they want to know what I do.
1: Exactly. I
2: have to be able to offer that to them instead of just teaching something I was taught years ago. This is one place where Michael really, really had a huge impact on me, Michael um, mm-hmm. Kim,
3: mm-hmm.
2: because he was training me to take my ISTD exam, International Society for, Imperial Society for Teachers of Dance. And he was explaining to me that uh, the way the adjudicators work is they'll try to get you kind of turned around with whatever. Anyway, long story short, he said, never answer a question without first dancing the step dance the step and answer the question. Mm-hmm. And he was specifically talking about the testing process, but I actually took that kind of as a rule in my teaching. I don't know how many underarm passes I've danced in my lifetime, but it's a lot. But if you ask me about a question about an underarm pass, I'm going to dance it. And then I'm going to answer your question. And what that does is it really keeps me in touch with the way I actually move through the figures instead of the way I think I move through the figures. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm a very physical teacher I I talk to you while I'm moving through something, so I'm explaining how I'm moving through it instead of standing still trying to describe it. I would like to see more teachers taking on that habit.
1: I think there are some of us that do that, and I think the people that do do that are the ones that do have dance training. That's why we do it. Right. The ones that don't are the ones that don't do it. And I think the problem we have now is we have a little bit of a community of teachers that train under, say, a specific instructor and they use their words and their theories yes and not that they're not good words and good theories but it's their word and their theories and dancers need to develop their own yes theories and words because you're teaching someone else's theory and style of movement and that's not how you move
2: well and and teaching dance is a really i the way i see it is language is inadequate to describe two things movement and feelings and right. I spend a lot of words trying to, to describe how movement feels. Right. And so I can show somebody, a dancer, and say, give me three adjectives to describe their movement, and they could choose three words that are completely opposite, the words that I would choose to describe it. But it makes sense, and we're both right. So right. you do have to be able to describe how the movement feels, describe how it looks, put it on somebody else's body. I love what you posted about Skype lessons not too long mm. ago.
3: Mm-hmm. is because
2: teaching is so hands-on teaching. Like I have to be able to make you feel it right. instead to mm-hmm. just want, look and point. I, I do Skype tune-ups for students. I've already that's
1: different
3: where it's yeah,
2: like you dance the drill and make sure you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't feel like I'm an effective teacher Right. Um, mm-hmm. in, in a situation like that. So that's definitely not my preferred method, but yeah, you, you have to, and teaching is a skill that you have to practice, and that's the hard thing. Is we have some young teachers that are not great yet.
0: No, that doesn't mean
2: they're not going to be great. Right, they need some more time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think time and guidance. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of people kind of just fall into teaching. Yes. right? Like they either, either cause they want to, they think they're good enough. And that to me is almost the worst kind because they just want to talk and tell people how smart they are. Um, but then there are other people who kind of get, uh, well, I'm like, I'm the best one in the community and people are coming to me for right. feedback. Yes. Right? right? And those are um, people
1: I'm really sympathetic too. And yeah. we need them. We need them. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, we, we do, do, but they also need help. They need yes. guidance. They need training. And we have a few different certification processes, but I think to to both of your point of like the experience of teaching, uh, I personally would like to see more opportunities where people have a mentorship with somebody, even if it's just for at, at events where they follow somebody and have guidance in really looking at the skills and the techniques that teachers are using. Right to your point, Brandy, it's a different skill set. Right, um, it's not just I know the dance and I can say it the way I do it. Right, you need to be able to say it different ways and like be responsive and I, I just think there's there's not enough to just experience and then be able to say it
2: oh of course not of course not. right but people are missing opportunity because they're either lazy or they don't think it's for them if you mm-hmm. really want to be a great teacher and you're at an event and you're sleeping through the 10 a.m workshops i'm not interested right. in listening to you and i'm not interested in helping you I don't care how late you social danced. If this is something you're studying, get out of bed, get to class. I want you to be in everybody's classes. I want you taking classes all day long. I want you taking the good classes. I want you taking the bad classes. I want you taking classes from the viewpoint of teacher, not student. I Mm -hmm. need you to listen to a teacher run a room. I need you to pay attention to pacing. I need you to listen to the words they choose. I need you to be able to identify what works and what doesn't work. I need you to read the mood of the room. I need you to feel mm-hmm. when people start fidgeting,
3: mm-hmm. when
2: you need to get them moving, and rotate partners and play some music so you can get them back on track. Like as as a as a teacher, you should be experiencing all of these things in every workshop. You should walk out of a workshop and be like, "Man, that one was really effective."
1: Like yeah, yeah, work, yeah.
2: Versus walking out of one and be like, "Hmm, that one didn't work so well. What I would have done differently is X, Y, and Z." And don't go sit in people's workshops.
1: Don't go sit. Take them. Get in the
2: class, rotate Mm -hmm. through, Mm
3: -hmm. feel
2: the problems that people are having. Mm -hmm. Mentally think about how you would work to fix those. Mm -hmm. Take the class as a student of teaching, not a student of dancing. Mm -hmm. And you can learn so much. But instead, people sit and they sleep all day and then they wake up and they go, huh, what a shame that we don't have any teacher's training programs. Come on. yeah. So
1: much available. <laughs> I know. no, it's true. Yes. I, I think it's important to understand too that you know teacher teacher training programs don't allow don't teach you how to develop your own teaching style. Right. And and taking lots of different classes will allow you to do that because Perfect. you hear yeah, you hear things different ways, you see things different ways, and then you take those things and you go, oh, I'm gonna do this and make it and make it my own. Yeah. Whereas a teacher training program doesn't do that. No.
0: Well, I would also say, I think, and granted, I've never actually done a full teacher training program, but my understanding of them is that many of them teach you kind of like how to teach West Coast swing, which is rather specific, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to teaching you the skills that you need to be a good teacher and then let you teach the dance the way you want to teach it, yes. right? Like I'm working with students now. I'm trying for the first time to, to like formally train a couple of students in teaching. And I'm focused on the skills of like diagnosis. Can you actually see what's happening in a student? Um, lesson planning. Do you know how to put together a lesson classroom management, right? Yes. Like these skills, and then they can go forth with their, their whatever content they want to teach or however they want to teach it, their personality. Yes. But I want them to have the skills that they need to craft an effective, uh, lesson. And I think, Brandy, what you said about really being in classes, um, it's really and actually taking the, the workshop or class is really important because at the end of the day, our job as teachers is to actually affect change in the student. Right. And I'm, I'm, when I take those workshops and I do it through that lens of like student of teaching, I'm watching the students a lot and to be in there and be like, Oh, they said this. And then this happened, right? The cause and effect of if they say it this way, what happens in the student and how do they interpret it? Because I, one of my biggest gripes about teachers is that they talk about the dance, the way they think about it.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And to your point, Deborah, teaching is communication and communication is not about you. It's about your audience, right? You need to say (laughs) it in a way that your audience is going to understand it and take action how you intend it. Yes. And I feel like a lot of teachers just kind of say like, well, you know, to your point, Brandy, they do say what they do, the good ones, but they miss that last step of saying it in a way that the student is going to be able to replicate it right, and understand it. Well,
1: and that's why I think a good teacher um, ha- had like Brandy's, like you say, 12, like I always say, I say something five different ways. So, mm-hmm. so, so everyone can understand it. I, when I'm in a private lesson too, and I see that things like aren't, they're not understanding me, then I go, what do you do for a living?
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, what do you do for a living? And they'll go, I'm an engineer. And I'm like, oh, all right, so you're analytical and you're a numbers person, yeah. right? The other person will say, I'm a painter. I said, well, then you're kinesthetic. Let's do it this way. Whereas I feel like a lot of teachers don't do that. Applying, I
2: always, they don't understand. I always ask like, so what do you do for a living? I'm trying to determine if you can afford me. Right. <laughs> 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 now that's good. <laughs>
3: Is this going like to be a long-term
0: that. investment or a one-time only down payment? <laughs> okay.
3: Sorry.
0: Yeah. Right. By the way, um, because this has come, I've had both of you at Mission City, which is great. So
3: good. And
0: this is, I think, a great example to your point, Deborah, of different people saying it the way I interpret it, anyway. Because I try to study with both of you, uh, is the same thing, different ways. Is the straight like bent like thing? Yeah. Right. So Brandy, you emphasize the like pushing through in the straight leg part, which is the weight transfer, and Deborah accents or emphasizes the bent leg to complete the weight transfer. Yes. Right. Right? But we're and saying exact
3: same thing. We are. Right. Right. And so
0: when I talk to my students and they're like, well, but Deborah said bent leg, I was like, Yes, so that you complete your weight transfer. But to get you there, you need the two straight legs that Brandy's talking about. <laughs> um but I think I think there are a lot of students who, you know, they they hear the the two different things, um And you two are both articulate. So it's easy to like reconcile what you're saying, but there are times where people sound contradictory and that, and then it's hard to interpret that.
1: But here's the important thing. The the good instructors. I feel like if someone comes up to me and says, well, Brandy says this and I go, yes. And she's saying the exact same thing that I am when we understand how other teachers teach, that's what makes us even better. Absolutely. even better yeah. instructors. Cause we, 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 there's a select few of us that we're all teaching the same thing. We're just saying it select a little, differently. right. Like a little differently. So it would never occur to me to be like, Nope, she's, you know, Brandy's wrong. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're saying the same thing. Let me explain it to you. Right? right. And if you can, if you can understand other instructors, how they teach that even makes you a better teacher as well.
2: That's why to this day I go to workshops. I right workshops so do because I. I typically, if I have a new student come in for a private lesson, I say, where did most of your training come from? Where did you learn? Mm-hmm. If, if it's an instructor, I know I have a pretty good idea of what their starting place theory, th- theory wise mm-hmm. is. And I know which direction I'm going to have to take. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a better teacher for knowing that right. I, I know other people's teaching well enough that I'm able to overcome objections before the student has a chance to voice them. And so I can avoid a whole lot of that just by understanding the different approaches to this dance. And the other thing that I really encourage teachers to do more of is verbally identify the difference between an instruction and a correction. Correct. This is such a big problem because what's happening is people will go take a private lesson and they'll receive a correction from a teacher Mm -hmm. and, and they take it as though it's an instruction and they go pass it around. Right. They, well, you know, Brandy says I should squeeze my lats down when I'm dancing. And no, I. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is so true. Go, go. And,
2: and it's like, no, no, you were completely disengaging your shoulder joint. So I asked you to activate the lat. You right. personally, you human with this problem. Yes. So that's how I want everybody dancing. Correct. And so I, I think it's our responsibility as teachers. I, I specifically say. This is a correction I'm making for you to overcome this habit that you personally have. I would not ask somebody else to dance this way. And uh, I think that as we do more of that, we can stop this propagation of weird and strange and terrible material.
0: I've seen people teaching corrective action in a group class. And I've, I've gone up and asked instructors afterwards. Um, and I think, you know, you both are good about this. And I think instructors need to also be good about this because it helps us recognize the commonality, um, is to explain intent. Mm -hmm. Like, this is why I'm telling you to do this thing. Um, so often I go to teachers and I'm like, well, so-and-so said whatever. And I'm like, okay, so why did they tell you that? Well, I don't know. (laughs) And then now I don't know what they were trying to do with you and how to help you. Right. Um, but I think a lot of people teach the corrective. And so if a student is, I don't know, at a 10 and they want them to be at a five, they say, go to zero. Mm -hmm. I know all the students are going to zero. zero. I see this a lot, by the way, with weight transfers. Mm -hmm where people are like, well, just put the foot out. And I'm like, Mm. I have all these people reaching their feet and like, but that's not exactly what they do. And it's not even what they want. They're just preemptively correcting a problem that they haven't yet actually seen.
2: I think people are smarter than we give them credit for
0: in classes.
2: And I, I want to tell people how to do it right. (laughs) Even if, the wrong way might be faster, and then I feel like I'll change it later, which is what I feel like a lot of teachers do.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I I would rather take the time to teach them to do it right from the beginning. Yeah, I yes. agree. and and I don't think 100%. that's an unreasonable uh, a goal. I think it's very attainable.
0: No, and it's it may be harder, but in the long run, it's going to be better. And there was a point where I, for a long, there were probably like two or three years where I was not teaching beginners and i was working with a group of students it was when i moved here to california and i was working with a group of you know quote unquote intermediate level students um and i got them after they had like already been put in the oven and started baking right <laughs> like <laughs> they came out of the oven and i hear they are and i was like and they were struggling because they were primarily trained as like pattern dancers and not technique focused and they were struggling to get better and do more advanced things because they didn't have all the ingredients they needed when they went into the oven. And, um, so I started teaching, focusing more on technique with them. Um, and I had a conversation with one of the students afterwards where he's like, this, like, I haven't heard this stuff before. And we started talking about how for a lot of, um, teachers, they either focus on patterns and leave out technique early on, or they give, to your point, Brandy, the easy thing. Mm -hmm. rather than the hard thing. That's actually the right thing. Right. They're like, well, let's, we just want to get them out on the dance floor and make them have fun. So let's just give them something. And he said to me, what other thing do you do in life where you have to relearn it when you get to a higher level? Right. You may add things like I don't play soccer differently. And then I get to like a high professional level and now I relearn it. You're just developing more skills, but in West coast swing, there is some of that happening there's where people it. are learning at a beginner level and then they go and take, and this happened to me, actually, I got to an advanced workshop after a couple of years of dancing and I was like, what I'm supposed to do this? Like, why did anybody tell me? Mm-hmm. And, and there's one thing where like we, as I do feel like we, as a dance community have really advanced our knowledge and understanding. And so I am hearing some things like we talked about this, Brandy, that like we talk way more about weight transfers now than we did like five, 10 years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. And I'm like, why didn't I hear this? But, um, so there's evolution of knowledge, but I feel like we shouldn't be teaching beginners and setting them up. We should be setting them up with the long view of developing skills, not changing them.
2: Right. Well, there's also, we also have to look at it differently depending on what a student's goal is. And so I I feel like there's, there's two types of classes. Like if we're talking about group classes at home, there's two types of classes. There's drop-in and there's progression. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and in each of those, those classes are either for entertainment or education. Mm-hmm. And so if I am teaching at a studio that's not a competitive studio, and it's like people coming out on date night because they want to learn a new dance, then my goal is to get them hooked. So I'm going to teach, I'm not going to teach them to do anything wrong, but I might skim over some of the essentials in order to get them hooked and get them moving in a way that they're like, this is fun. I'd like to learn more then I can go a little bit deeper. But um, so it is okay to leave out some of the details. I I, I knew of one particular teacher who was working so hard to cultivate a home community inside of a studio with a bunch of other dances. Um, And she said, I just can't get any traction on my basic class. And I said, well, let's go through your class structure. She spent the first week teaching nothing but walks and triple steps. So by the end of the first class, nobody could do anything to music. They had nothing that they could do. And so for, even though she was teaching it right, so Mm -hmm. to speak, she wasn't teaching it in a way that it was engaging. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: so we have to split that balance because we want to grow our community. We want to Mm -hmm. introduce more people to West Coast Swing. So I would say week one of a basic class, I want them to be able to do two basic figures. So that by the end of the hour, I can turn on a song and they can do a push and a pass or mm-hmm. make two t- different types of ad. But they they have to feel successful. And they're like, huh. Then when they come in for week two, I can start to like spoon feed them technique with a little sugar sprinkled on top. Because what it's going to do is it's going to make what they're trying to do a little bit easier. And it's right. going to make it look and feel better. So there's definitely an art to that. You can't <clears throat> go all entertainment and you can't go all education. Finding that balance is important. <laughs> But I don't think we should take the easy way out, especially in progressive classes with people who are to learn.
1: Yeah, I always 100. Yeah, I always tell my students it's gonna. I'm gonna make it a little bit difficult in the beginning for you, so that as you progress, the dance becomes easier.
3: Exactly. Not make
1: it easier for you in the beginning, that as you progress, the dance becomes more difficult, and I think that's the problem that we're having in I, West Coast.
2: The barrier to entry in West Coast is very high. It's mm-hmm. very high. Um I always tell people when you first start dancing waltz waltz is really easy. Yeah. You have a box step, you have three mm-hmm. steps, super easy. Mm-hmm. Then it gets really really
1: hard. Mm-hmm.
2: West Coast swing starts really hard mm-hmm. and then gets easier
1: if you do, if you teach it right.
2: If if you teach mm-hmm. it right and if you right. put in the time but I always tell people basic West coast swing is at least an intermediate level dance. Yes, it really is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's physically easy on the body, but Mm -hmm. it is very complex in its structure and its rhythms and, and its uh,
1: versatility. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So,
2: you know, the barrier to entry is, is higher than most of our other social dances. And that's why I've always said West coast swing is kind of a dancer's dance. It's, it's seldom, it's not often the first dance somebody does. They mm-hmm. usually find their way to it through another style of dancing.
1: Right. That's and most of us have done that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. very rare that somebody just drops it and they're like, "Oh, I want to do
0: this."
2: Yeah, like somebody's like, yeah.
0: "I've never danced before. No, let's like,
1: do this.
2: Let's do that."
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Go ahead. So it's kind of funny because I actually do have a lot of like brand spanking new dancers at my dance. Mm. And it's funny because, I, you know, I'll, I'll go and chat them up and like, hey, how'd you hear about us, this and that. And my dance is called Mission City Swing. And so people look up swing in San Francisco.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I actually had one student. I talked to recently. She's like, "Actually, I thought I was coming to a Lindy Hop class, <laughs> like, uh-huh. or an East Coast Swing class." Yeah. Well, and
2: they got to Lindy Hop and not another type of swing altogether.
0: <laughs> right, <And> like... <laughs> right. Especially in San Francisco. Right. Uh, that's a different neighborhood. Um, <laughs> Castro Swing is a different oh, yeah. thing. But um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's funny that people just kind of. They're like, well, I'm looking for swing dancing and because what? it's in my name and like a Google search. So I actually do get a lot of brand spanking really new. Cool. And, and honestly, sometimes I prefer it because a lot of people who have done a dance and trained their bodies without the awareness of how they're training their bodies have those, you know, quote unquote habits that the, the dance specific traits mm-hmm. that they're not aware of. Yes. And then I have to like retrain them. And I want to have a clean slate, I can like mold it. Oh, absolutely. Like a, just like a lump of clay. So
3: that's awesome.
0: Anyway, um, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you one other question, which is, um, how do you balance your professional life with your personal life? Right? Like you, you have a great family? You spend a lot of time and you seem to have strike, uh, struck a good balance there. And I'm curious what that's been like for you.
2: Um, I, I think the t- true trick is that you never feel totally balanced you're always you're always a little heavy in one direction or the other and you just have to accept that i I have to tell a lot of women, please don't compare yourself to me when it comes to family. Um, I'm not with my children's father. I'm divorced we my husband and I share time with their dad and his wife 5050. It is not, it is a lot easier to be a hundred percent present half the time. I don't experience the cumulative fatigue of parenting that most mm-hmm. mothers face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I plan my work trips around my custody schedule. So I travel when the kids are with their dad. And, um, but it is tough because I'm, I mean, I'm confirming work into November of 2019. I'm booking work a year in advance. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what day the fourth grade play is going to be on next year. And I might miss it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've missed things that I don't want to miss for my kids. But I also, um, my kids also respect my career. And I love when I'm talking to them. I just got home from teaching for the weekend in Boston. And I love when I'm on the phone with my son. And he goes, how is Boston? How's the teaching? How are your students out there? And he shows a genuine interest in what I do. And, uh, it's, I depend on my husband. I depend on the kid's dad and we all work really well Mm -hmm. together to make sure that everything is covered all the time. But, um, my divorce was the hardest thing that ever happened to me. And it was one of the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I have the best of all three worlds now. Now, ladies, when you listen to me talk about this, I'm not telling you to go out and get divorced, trust me. But um, but when I say it, it's going to sound really good because half the time I have this wonderful family with two kids. And then the other half the time, my husband and I are a childless couple and we get to travel and we get to go do things together. Now, part of that time, I am on my own traveling and teaching and really filling the me side of the equation. And he has time to see friends and hang out with the dogs and just do what he wants to do. So both the family, me the couple, me and the individual me is getting satisfied. Mm -hmm. Now with our work, Deborah, you know, this it's feast or famine. Yep. And so you take the feast when it comes. And Mm -hmm. so I just wrapped up, um, two months of, way too much. Uh, I booked mm-hmm. more travel than I ever have since having children. And I was kind of testing our limits and I found them. Mm-hmm. And I just wrapped that up. And now I do not leave town again until New Year's. I'm home for two months. Mm-hmm. And That's I'm great. so excited about it. But I know that right around the middle of December, I'm going to be like, I got to go somewhere. I got and my husband. Like, don't you have to go somewhere? Right. <laughs> So so I think that you, I think the whole idea, and I talk about this in dancing, um, the true trick to balance is understanding that when you feel imbalanced, you don't need to necessarily fix it. You just need to move through it and you'll balance in the next moment. And that's kind of what I do in life is I always feel like something's a little tiny off kilter and I keep on moving and we always find our equilibrium, but keep swimming just keep swimming. Absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. But if
2: I was still married to the kids, dad, I wouldn't be traveling like I am. I -hmm. wouldn't have the career that I have. Um, coming back from having kids was, was really scary. Mm -hmm. It was really scary because when I had particularly, when you have one kid, you can kind of throw them on your hip. I have a friend who said one is a sidekick, two is traffic. And, um, so having one kid and jumping on a plane and going that's well within the realm of possibility. But I have my kids really close together. So the idea of traveling to an event with a baby and a toddler there's just no way. There's well, you just don't, there's not enough time in the day.
1: Well wouldn't you also say that too that we live in a in a community where as soon as they hear that you become pregnant and that you're having a child that, that they kind of like pull away. Yeah, you're done. Um, and, and, and that's not a good thing. You know, we should be allowed to have children as women. And that doesn't take away the fact that we're still good instructors and we're still, you know, viable and all, and all, and all those things.
2: I danced, um, I danced the world championships in country. Uh, Dylan was born in September and the mm-hmm. world championships were, um, January for new years. Yeah. And I had a, an emergency C-section and a very difficult recovery. And I probably shouldn't have got back on the floor at world's but I needed to know I could do it. And I needed the women around me to see me do it. Right. And I needed to make that statement of I'm still here and I'm still good and I'm still capable. And I was sponsored by, um, a costume designer at that point. So I was wearing these gorgeous $3,000 gowns Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: I was breastfeeding my son. And so I would literally have to grab the baby in between dances and feed him. So my boobs would go down enough to fit in the next dress. (laughs) (laughs)
1: This is brilliant. I love it.
2: The whole thing was just so absurd on some level, uh, but I had to do it. And then I will tell you when I decided to have a second child, when I had Piper, that's when I kind of said, okay, that's, that's it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because traveling with one kid is reasonable traveling with two. I knew in having a second, I really committed to being home because it's harder with two. And, and then once they, once they're in school, you can't constantly be pulling them out of school a day early, going a oh. day late to go to events. It's just, so it was at that time that I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm done here. I'm going to focus on my family. Mm-hmm. And then after my divorce, I had to get back to work. Yeah. And it was, it was really, it was really scary. And I am more successful today than I ever was before kids. Um, I'm traveling more. I'm more in demand as a teacher. And I am so just whole and happy as a human in my own skin, doing what I'm doing
3: mm-hmm. that.
2: Um, ladies, wait till your forties. They're fantastic.
3: You're welcome.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're welcome.
0: Yeah. By the way, have you ever seen um, Shonda Rhimes of Grey's Anatomy uh-huh. fame yeah. and all those um, gave the the commencement speech at Dartmouth a few years ago?
2: I remember seeing snippets, but I didn't see the whole thing.
0: She talked. It was great. And part of the reason it was great is it wasn't all like life is wonderful. It was a real kind of like life is hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but part of that speech that she gave was... Very much in line with what you were just saying of like, I'm a mom and I work a lot and I'm, it's not that I have, have it all. It's that I'm always missing something. Mm -hmm. Like I'm either working too much and I'm missing my kids or I'm with my kids and I'm like craving work. Absolutely.
2: That's exactly how I feel all the time. There's all, Mm -hmm. I'm always missing out on something, but I've, I used to, do you know what the worst part for me was? Is I would deal with major anxiety when I would leave an event on a Sunday until I got my kids on Monday because I, and it took me a while to realize that I was living in limbo. I was not in either of my worlds and trying
1: to be in both worlds at the same time.
2: And I was in no world at all. Right. It's like, I just experienced this overwhelming anxiety until I like I needed to be with back with my kids. So I was like (laughs) checked into mom world. Mm -hmm. And right after I, um, Right after my divorce, when I first started traveling again, my kids were very little. And I had a a girlfriend who really helped set me straight. She She said, you separate your worlds too much. She said, you need to come home from your work weekends and you need to tell your kids where you were and you need to tell them what you were doing. And you need to tell them what happened and what was exciting and what was fun and what was hard and what was scary. But let your kids become part of the world that you live in, even when they're not there. And once I started to merge the two worlds, um, everything started feeling a little bit better. But I still always have that overwhelming sense of missing something. I mean, my son's, I just saw my son play hockey for the first time two weeks ago. Like his season had started and he was on game six and I hadn't even seen one yet. Right. It was really comical too because, you know, young kids playing ice hockey.
1: It's, oh, I'm sure it's nice. It's, it's fun to pretty, watch.
2: It's a lot more exciting than kids soccer. I'll tell you that much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> much faster. I'm sure.
2: And slow at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This was fantastic. It was, really good.
2: It was my pleasure. I love, I love talking with two awesome, smart, fun, funny people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great that uh, you you touch base on a on a lot of things that people want to talk about but they're afraid um, to talk about it um, and and especially being a, a female that I you know although I've been here before you in the swing community I totally I'm in awe of you and I look up to you because you're so put together Brandy okay. you're so so put together like mom wife um, instructor uh, dancer um, you're, you're just, you're, you're just good at everything that you do. And,
2: do you know, um, that makes me feel really good. Cause I'm going to tell you, I sat on the couch last night and cried very oh. to my husband. Why? I, I said, I just feel a bit of mess right now. You're not. And, and I get,
1: <laughs> I get what you mean though. Cause
2: you know, we all go think? through it, but yeah. I appreciate the kind words very, very much.
1: Your perfection. And I love you.
2: I love you too. Thank you. And by the way, from now on, code mm-hmm. word, peach pie.
0: Yes. <laughs> peach pie, that's right. Absolutely. I'm going to totally post this episode, it. hashtag peach pie, and hashtag we'll see if people pie. understand it. But it's I totally do. true. Yeah. I will add my, my glowing review of you, which is I admire you very much as well. And not just as a female leader in our community, but as just a leader in our community. I have always admired your dancing. Um, your, your mastery of technique and of artistry. And as a student of yours, I have always very much admired you as an instructor, your ability to articulate ideas and not just fill the role of teacher, but also of coach. Like you see the whole picture. And both of you, by the way, are, are two of the people that I recommend <clears throat> to both leaders and followers. Both beginners and more advanced dancers that you are able to diagnose and respond and nurture people of any type, and that I really believe is a gift, and I honestly also think it's kind of rare um, mm. in our community. so I'm really you're like a pearl brandy you're like a pearl well, but back when I was younger, there was a, a Garfield cartoon where John goes up to, to Garfield and he says, "Do you know how how pearls are formed?" And Garfield goes, no, how? And John goes through constant irritation. <laughs> <laughs> so I try not to refer to people like I a pearl. A pearl. <laughs> <laughs> <Through> constant <laughs> irritation. Um, but no, I, I'm really always grateful for your your real talk, your honest talk, and for sharing your insights, your wisdom, your experience. It's really valuable, and I've gained a lot from it. And hopefully, now people through the podcast can also gain a lot from it as well.
2: Thank you so much, both of you. It was an absolute pleasure.
0: If people want to find Brandy, they can do so online on the Facebook. On the Facebook, Facebook, Brandy Guild. And if you'd like to send her a message, book her for a private, book her as a solo female instructor because she's worth it, you should contact her at brandy underscore guild at yahoo.com.
2: Absolutely.
0: If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us about this episode or any other, you can post a comment on our website the naked truth or you can email deborah and me through our site um, or through our facebook page you can also tweet at us on twitter at naked truth wcs and you can find us on the instagram at the naked truth wcs you can like us follow us and uh, of course you can share our posts online and you can subscribe to our podcast on itunes apple podcasts google podcasts spotify and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. If you cannot find this podcast on your uh, podcast listening app, please let us know so we can make sure it's on there. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric.
1: And I'm Deborah,
2: And that's The Naked Truth.
1: Well, I guess it depends on
0: their connection, not just yep. ours. All right, well. Deborah, everything is about connection. Yes. It's all about connection. Are we all connected? It always
1: comes back to that.
0: If we're connected, it takes less work. It's yeah, just, it always comes back ugh, to that. Who knew that Wi-Fi would be a metaphor for dancing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. our Wi-Fi connection is bad, it just takes more work to make it good. Oh, my God. Yes. Now we know. I thought modern technology would be the end of civilization (laughs) it's totally yeah
1: I think it's still going to be the end of civilization but we'll see
0: yeah probably but I want to be a part of it when it happens
1: yeah right